Hello and welcome to the Dr. Squee Show. I'm Dr. Squee and this is my show. This week we welcome singer-songwriter Jill Sebuel. Uh, I'll speak about that in a minute. Uh, I just want to open the show very quickly by uh, sending out our love to the family of George Floyd, the 46-year-old uh, African-American gentleman who was killed in Minneapolis this week in the US um, by police officers one police officer who put his knee on the neck of this gentleman until he died. Uh, shock doesn't even begin to describe, I know, the way the whole world feels about what's happening. Uh, I'm not going to take too much to it because uh, I feel like as a, a white man, I don't know the struggles the way others do. I don't think... I don't think anyone needs to hear my voice in it at the moment. But I did want to send out some love. Um, it's as if every day there's something else more shocking which comes out right now. Like uh, just when you think the world is at its bleakest at the moment with the pandemic and uh, with people not able to see loved ones as they die, uh, with people in power flouting the rules while the rest of us have to obey it. And we want to obey. We want to do the right thing in these these times. And then for a man to so senselessly be killed in this way. I don't know what to say. Uh, and again, I don't think it, it's down to me to say it. Or I'm the one people need to be hearing from right now. I just, just want to send out some love. And let us know. To, to let you know that uh, it's in my thoughts at the moment. And that my own small way I want to do better to be more of an ally to the African-American community or in the UK as we call it the black community um, I just want to do more I want to do better I want to uh, try and reach out to have more uh, diverse guests on the show um, we spoke in, in this interview you'll hear with my interview with Jill Sabuel we speak a bit about uh, the state of America at the moment and its current uh, leadership and how people really want change and I just want in my own small way to be part of that change and uh, I you know I, I'll be honest I, I write out to all sorts of guests to be on this show and it's kind of down to sometimes who accepts being on the show I don't you know necessarily decide what the makeup is of my guests however uh, I can write out to more people who are uh, non-white male guests. Uh, I've got to admit, like, there is a bias with, from which I come, which I try and overcome, and I try and uh, have on people who are outside my usual experience. And sometimes someone can get lazy, and they can end up falling back on uh, people who look like them and sound like them. I don't want this show to be that. Uh, it's still a young show, so, you know, what I do now uh, might decide uh, what kind of guests I get later. Because sometimes if you have a more diverse guest list, you encourage a more diverse guest list. You can say, look, I've had these people on before. I think those of us who like to think of ourselves as allies to these communities we're not part of, we just want to do better and... That's going to be my intent going forward. Um, so again, uh, much love to George Floyd's family and uh, Black Lives Matter.
if you're one of these all life matters people um i'm sorry but i don't, there's nothing i can say to you that's going to obviously penetrate that bubble which you're living in but uh, i i hope you find your way out of it someday that you can see that there's something different about this that uh, all lives aren't under threat in the way that black lives are on a daily basis um anyway uh, that's my little bit on that. Uh, we've got Jill Sabiel on the show this week. Uh, amazing interview. Uh, we cover a lot of ground um, about independent artists, independent singers, about, as I say, the state of play in America at the moment and how people feel hopeless, but maybe there is some hope to be got out of it. Uh, and of course, uh, how Jill made it in the music industry, how she got to be where she is today. Uh, and... Um, I hope you enjoy the show. I hope you can find some light in these dark times at the moment. And just everyone stay, stay strong. Uh, turn to your family. Turn to your loved ones. And um, maybe we can all just do better as a society somehow. I've just got to believe we can. I've got to believe there is a better way ahead uh, that we're going to find. So anyway, please enjoy this week's show. Welcome to the show with your friend and mine. So tell me, Dr. Squee, who's it gonna be this time? We like to hear you talk, and we love to hear you listen. And if you are not subscribed, you won't know what you're missing. So welcome to the Dr. Squee Show. Welcome to the Dr. Squee Show. Welcome to the Dr. Squee Show. Headphones up. Welcome to the Dr. Squee Show. Tonight, Squee welcomes... Jill Sobio. And now here's the man himself, Dr. Squee. Hello and welcome to the Dr. Squee Show. I'm Dr. Squee, this is my show, and this is my dog trying to eat me right now. Say hello to Benny, everyone. How sweet. And Aww. joining me is singer and songwriter Sung for the Simpsons, as well as being a reference on the show. She was singing about kissing girls decades before Katy Perry. She's True. had a song on the Clueless soundtrack in the 90s. She's written musicals and worked with Bernie Sanders on his presidential campaign. Please welcome Miss Jill Sabule. Yay! Hello, everyone. How are you doing today, Jill? Well, I'm okay. I'm I'm actually in in the Southern California area in in the desert in Palm Springs, and there's something about it that the blue skies and and the foliage is beautiful, but that almost seems almost more apocalyptic. <laughs> there's something very apocalyptic about Southern California. Yeah, we don't need apocalyptic right now. I don't think. If it's not this, that the earthquake is coming any day now. <laughs> so, Jill, you were just telling me before we went on, uh, you were uh, out in L.A. when this all kicked off, and you haven't left. I haven't left because I thought it was, well, I think travel was kind of fishy, and I decided maybe it was going to be a better idea to stay at my friend's really nice guest house instead of my my hovel in New York City that, uh, uh, you know, with the guys 
downstairs smoke constantly all the time, and I wouldn't be able to leave. And uh, not that I have it bad, but uh, you know. Yeah, all I could uh, think of was when I saw your uh, little blog update, because you said about you had two changes of coins, I think it was, and a hot oh, plate. Oh yeah, I do. <laughs> so I have the guest house with the hot plate. I only have my guitar with me, which is great. I'm glad I brought it. And I, but I have two changes of clothing. Which I know I could just go on and order it, but I'm kind of liking I'm kind of liking the uniform. I'm liking my pandemic uniforms. I mean, I don't want to like you know, be too on the nose here, but it did remind me of your song Freshman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like your own songs. What's ironic about Freshman was when I did that, and that was years ago. You know, I, I you know talked about uh, you know how stuff it is for songwriter you know and i even moved to brooklyn i cook on hot plate but now brooklyn is is way more rent is way more expensive than, than even manhattan now so you can't go anywhere in new york anymore as an artist with a hot plate yeah well things, things don't get cheaper right where are you i'm here in southampton in the uk despite oh, nice. the days. Oh, how great <laughs> Yeah, uh, so like I want to like uh, take you right back to, to where you all started. It was in uh, Denver, Colorado. You grew up, I believe. I grew up in Denver, Colorado, which I thought was the biggest metropolis in the whole world. And then I went to go visit my aunt Nikki, and who lived in London, a sum when I was a kid in summers, and then it, it intimidated me so much. I loved it so much, but that. That's a, that was a city. Yeah, yeah, it's not a small place. No, but uh, I was lucky to have that. But yeah, I grew up in Denver. Well, what kind wait. of place did you grow up? How was uh, school for you? How, how was what for me growing up in Denver? Yeah, growing up in Denver. And like, yeah, did you get on with school? How was it all? Well, Denver... You know, I, I go back now and I'm like, it is, it really is one of the most beautiful cities, I think. Not, not architecturally, but you, you know, you've got a wall of mountains there and the weather, it's sunny 300 days out of the year. And, and, uh, it's obnoxious because all the people, it's the most fit place in the United States. The senior citizens even are like kicking my ass. They all, everyone has, has really strong thighs in Denver, Colorado. <laughs> but for me, and growing up when I did there, I mean, I was uh, it was tough. As as my play that was supposed to be on these last couple of months, I have a, a, a one woman show called Fuck Seventh Grade. Yeah. What do you guys call seventh grade? Uh, I, I would have to try and think, like, is it, um... I'm, I'm 13 it? years old. 13 years old, so you'd be, like, um, 7th, seventh, 7th seventh grade. 7th, yeah. Seven, yeah. So, yeah, seven. that, um, so, I think it was this idyllic place to grow up, but, like, being a, a 13 years old, you, you could be in, in paradise, and you'd still be a the most miserable human in the whole wide world. So, uh, so I think it took me a while to appreciate when I come back to Denver. You know, yeah. 
So it must be fresh in your mind having written that, you know, being as you were meant to be performing that at the moment. Yeah, it was so funny. When I was working on the play, I called people who I hadn't seen in ages and and and, and someone who broke my heart to, well, you know, in, in seventh grade. And they're all on Facebook, and it was so funny just contacting people of, of uh, uh, you know, hey, what did you think of me? Because <laughs> you know, I was writing. <laughs> so, <laughs> I talked to even the mean girls. Yeah. It, it was very illuminating. The one thing that was everybody was miserable. The ones you thought were the most popular and the, the yeah. jockey guys and everything. There was a couple of those that were like, you know, yeah, it was the best time of my life. And I'm like, fuck you, you know, click. <laughs> it's one of those funny and those popular kids who wouldn't have talked to you back then, then send you Facebook friend requests and stuff like that. It's so weird. Oh, my God. But this is the best one is the, the first time I ever someone asked me to date them. It was sixth grade. It was Robbie Naiman. And he was really popular. And I didn't really care about him. But I thought I should do this. This is, you know, you got to do it. And it was when people would go out, they ask you to go steady with them. And then they drop you like four days later and then go, you know, that was that was the thing. And so Robbie Naiman, he dropped me and all the girls made fun of me and he told everyone I was a terrible kisser but we never kissed so that went around school so I got an email from him saying Jill I know I was a you know I hadn't seen him since he was 13 <laughs> Jill I know I was you know not a good person I'm, I'm a fan of yours now I keep up will you ever forgive me it was the sweetest little letter though and I wrote him back in my kind of, uh, what's her name? Like, uh, how I can't even think of. She, she was a great 1920s actress who, uh, was like, I said to him, I go, I knew you'd always come crawling back. <laughs> that's all, that's all I wrote. I love it. But you don't mind those ones where they come back a bit sweeter than they used to be. But, like, it's just, yeah. yeah. It's just random like friend requests when you haven't talked to them in all that time. It's just weird. Yeah, it, it is. This whole thing has been really, really interesting. I went back to Denver, and I, I met a lot of people that I hadn't seen since then. And um, you know what? A couple of them that I thought were going to be the big losers or the ones that I thought were the mean ones that were going to be awful and that they act, you know what? They turned out to be okay, actually. They yeah. turned out to be, uh, you know, there wasn't a Trump voter of any of them. Definitely a plus. I know. <laughs> so, uh, the, the, it, we won't talk about my, my step brothers. But um, that that was great. Everyone turned out to be, to to actually do pretty good, which was really interesting. When you're looking back at uh, at uh, that time in your life, do you start going into the musical styles you were into at that stage? Does that kind of come in for it? Oh yeah. Well, you can't you, you can't get over it. I I was really into uh, uh, Bowie and T Rex at the time. At the same time, I loved Carol. King. It was this really odd thing. I liked. I I really liked being glam, 
at the same time, I, I, I liked my, I would, it was great because I had an older brother who six years older. So while I was listening to some, you know, whatever my friends were listening to, he brought home Dylan records and John Prine records. And so I had all these amazing singer songwriters and, and, uh, yeah. So, so that was kind of a, that was kind of a great thing. I had, I had a lot of great music. Yeah. And, um, yeah, of course, I, I know I, and you know what? I even learned to appreciate now the music my parents was pl- were playing at the time, like all the great Burt Bacharach and, and Stan Getz and, and Joe Beam. And so I can see even in the play, there's a little song called Open Mike Night, and it's complete ripoff of uh, Waters of March, you know. Oh, that's nice. I mean, I remember when uh, I was young, my dad never used to play any music. I only found out that he kind of like had a cool past when I discovered his old records. And he had like Simon and Garfunkel and Dead Bowie and all this like, wonderful stuff. That's so great. So th- did it give you more respect for him? Oh, completely. Like he just, it's like he re- it's when he retired because uh, like he was fairly old when I was born. Uh, like relatively for a parent anyway. Uh, and I just discovered, all, like, you know, he suddenly started listening to music and he cracked out all those old records and stuff. And I'm like, why did you never mention any of this stuff before? Like, this is awesome. Ah, that's so, that's so fantastic. So what was your, what were, when you were 13, I'm obviously older, what were you, what were you listening to? Well, I think I had that experience of my older brother, kind of like his record collection became what I went into. So, like, he had uh, Huey Lewis in the News, I still love to this day. I, still think <laughs> I love their little kind of last uh, LP that they, you know, uh, put out recently. Uh, I still swear they're great. <laughs> he had some old blue stuff, and it was kind of like 80s metal rock. So it was like, you know, Poison and uh, Guns N' Roses and all that kind of stuff. So kind of quite a little eclectic mix. So you had a good mix of stuff. Yeah, and what yeah. were your friends listening to more? Oh, I, and like whatever was in the chat, probably. So, like, uh, Bross just suddenly came to mind. Did you get Bross over there? Was who? Did you get Bross over there? No. There was like a, 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 like these guys who were twins who had this like pop act, and you had that and take that, and it was kind of like all those kind of like chart kind of stuff. Was it, was that good that we didn't have that? Yeah, I think it was good that you didn't have that. It was not great. It's like, it's the kind of like, um, yeah, what were the pun- like sort of like uh, Backstreet Boys, which were also oh, kind of yeah, like, yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah. It's like okay as it goes, but it's kind Boy of like top of the time, you know that kind of thing. So I was kind of like I was very appreciative. I at least got into some real music, and uh, so I kind of had a great appreciation for that. Well, they yeah. say what you go. It's interesting. I was reading an article. Uh, maybe I made it up. <laughs> um, where you go in your comfort zone is that that period. Like if you were going to listen to music right now, and you were in your, you know, you're sequestered. I'm sequestered, and I want to go into a sort of comfort zone. And I go on my uh, shuffle my stuff or look around. There's a good percentage I might go into stuff that maybe was the. The stuff that influenced me from that years of of of, of eight to eighteen. 
Yeah, I did find myself going back to like, well, it's an evergreen for me, the queen. Like, it's always a good one to go back to. And every like generation a, can go there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, they, they were the, the band of the 60s, 70s, 80s. Like, yeah, it go, goes on. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. And, 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 and right now, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be like, okay, no, 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 no. They're, they're, I heard this new album is really great. I'm going to go listen to it. And, um, you know, so it, it's almost like, and then once I do, it's fantastic if, if it's a great record. But it's almost like a, lately in my mindset, it's almost a chore. I want to, it's like my record, my last record, Nostalgia Kills. I want to kind of go back inside. <laughs> So, like, how do you go from these kind of wonderful musical influences to kind of deciding, like, I think I could do that? Well, I, I think, interesting. Well, part of the, the, the seventh grade show starts off when I'm in sixth grade because I, I my, my brother, my older brother, had the rock band and my parents were the cool parents that let them uh, rehearse in the basement. And I begged my parents, first I begged them to, I wanted to have a drum set. I wanted to be Bonham, you know. And, and, uh, I got a drum set when I was really little, small, but somehow they convinced me guitar was a much nicer instrument. They, you know, I'm sure it was horrible to be around, but I had a, you know, I had a Gibson SG. I had my, I got to use my brother's Marshall amp and I was like four foot one. And, um, that was, I was in the stage band. I, I was the, the cool girl guitar player. And then all of a sudden, somehow around that period of 13, 14, it was like, no, it's not cool at that time to be, you know, compete with the boys, be a rock guitar player, you know, girls finger pick. Girls play like Joni. Girls or Joan Baez or Carol King. You know, girls don't rock. And, and in a way, there was no, there was hardly when I was young, there really weren't that many role models at all. They were like, you know, you had the runaways. You had, this was pre, you know, and they were girl bands, go-go's or, you know, the, the, the bangles, but they're, you know, Bonnie Raitt was a great guitar player. Yeah. Um, but I didn't have any role models, and it was a weird thing. So then I started, on one hand it was good, on one hand it was bad, because I think I could have been, like, the best shredder in the entire planet. Yeah. You know, and I still play, you know, like I was the guitar player for Lloyd Cole's band, you know, in the negatives. But I started playing acoustic and then thinking like, oh, I should be a songwriter. And I listened to my brother's records of, say, Leonard Cohen and John Prine and Dylan, and I thought, wow, they're telling stories. This is amazing. Uh, so I, I, I think on one hand it was was a horrible thing that I didn't have encouragement to be the shredder. But then I'm not sure I would have really focused on the other hand on, on the songwriting. And I'm glad I had my older brother's records that, that that was 
you know, you inspired, I inspired to the best, you know. And do you remember some of the kind of earlier gigs when you started gigging around? Oh, my God. Well, we had, uh, I'll tell you what happened, is I didn't, you know, I wrote really shitty songs, actually, for some of you know, really bad, but, uh, when, you know, I'd play cover songs, I had a, a band in college that first year and last year in high school, but it was my junior year abroad program and it was in Spain. And a friend of mine said, let's go busk on the street where all the street musicians play. It was in Sevilla and we got out there and, and I thought, I'm just going to try playing my own songs because... I'll never see these people again, and they probably have no idea what I'm singing about anyway. So, you know. So a guy stopped by, and he, with his big dog, I remember he had a big great Dane, and he said he owned a nightclub, and would we like to play his nightclub? And I first we were like, yeah, sure, two young American girls. But it ended up being legitimate. And I ended up dropping out of school and playing three hours a night at this guy's club. And I sometimes think if that guy had a walk by, I wonder if my life would have been completely different, you know, if I would have gone a, a, a different direction. Mm. So uh, I, I, I think about that. Then I came home to, to Denver and I played, started with open mic nights. You guys have open mic nights, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I love them. It's like the, the, you can get from the best to the worst in one act. It's it's wonderful. And like just, just everyone goes up with just such, it's usually such like purity of intent. It's great. It's so, it was so sweet. So every other Tuesday at the, uh, the lounge at the Holiday Inn on Colorado Boulevard in Denver, I would play. And you know what? I started getting some... Uh, some acclaim at that holiday and you know and then i got my own night ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and then after that you want to know something having my own night i mean that's all i aspired to it was pretty fantastic and i got a hundred dollars that was unheard of i mean still that was the best gig i ever had <laughs> <laughs> And I never felt more successful than then. I really did think about, you know, oh, uh, I'm going to go to New York or L.A. or London and, and get a record deal. I mean, this, this was this was the shit. This was, you know, that that was that. So that's that's where I got started, cutting my teeth at the open mic nights, and then then I put together a band with musicians uh, that I'd met at the open mic nights and had my own night with a band, a real life band. And uh, I just had a uh, message up from uh, my buddy Matt Lee's. Uh, his open, the open mic was Tuesdays to the boat house in Victoria Park. Then he did what? He, um, my friend Matt Lee's, he's a musician too. He's saying about his, uh, he used to do the open mic nights on a Tuesday too in the boat house in Victoria Park. Over in that sounds a lot nicer than the lounge at the Holiday Inn, I have to say. <laughs> that sounds like a way better open mic night, I have to admit. 
it, it's it's so great. I, you know what? I'd love to go do do some open mic nights. Actually, that'd be really great. That would be a really fun thing to do again. Just 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 show up as uh, somebody, you know. And uh, I know I did. Uh, you know, musicians we don't do the karaoke. You know, I'm not a. I, it's not my thing. But but my family made me go because it was a party, and. I got to sing one of my, it was either Supermodel or I Kissed a Girl, and uh, I walked out, maybe I had a couple beers, and I overheard someone say, she didn't do a really good job, did she? <laughs> <laughs> I just went someone coming through a bit quieter. Does this sound any better? It sounds so much better. I will just, just hold the microphone up here, then that's uh, that's all I was doing. Thank you. <laughs> That'll help a bit. Uh, so, getting on a bit. So, like, uh, when you you so you've got your own night now, and then you get from there to to your first album. Like, how did you get discovered? Well, interesting enough, I was going to move. I was moving to New York City, and so I was going to do my last night, my goodbye. And I didn't. I didn't have anything in New York. It was just I felt like I had friends there, and I thought you know all the music came there and it was time I did as much as I could in Denver and you know I had nothing planned in New York but the day my last concert it was like you know goodbye Denver and you know everyone was celebrating and a guy happened to be uh, I don't know what he was doing at the Holiday Inn but a, there was an A&R guy from a record company who happened to be in Colorado. I think he was skiing and then he was in Denver and he was at the, the, the club and, and, you know, happened to walk in and he really liked what I did. And he was like, would you like to come down? And, and I'd like to hear more about your stuff. And, and, um, it was one of those, you know, dreamlike things that I got discovered. And how the was it holiday like, in. <laughs> <laughs> of all places. So, like, uh, what's it like? And then going into the studio, like, had you done anything in the studios before? Had you been around them before? Or was that kind of just a, a new experience? Well, yeah, but it was no, not not much at all. And then, then the uh, my A and R person who I I love, Susan Dotus, and she, we were thinking about the different. Producers and I was completely intimidated. I had no idea what to do, and she was a huge, huge, huge fan of Todd Rundgren's. And so, and I was a fan of Todd's. But you know how there's certain people who are like fanatics. Yeah, I, I wasn't quite there, but I was there. I mean, I I love his stuff so much, but. So he was producing people. He produced, you know, bands that I liked. Um, and so that was my first time ever in the studio. I went down to Woodstock, went up to Woodstock where he has his studio and worked a month. You stay with him. And it was, I don't, it was a really interesting experience, I have to say. And so Todd produced on uh, Things Here Are Different, your first album. And he did. And uh, I Kissed a Girl came out, like, uh, was on the album. Like, that's, that's, no, that was, no, 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 no. That, that was an album in 1990. I'm getting and, my album produced, sorry. 
And, and, and so that was earlier. And then I got dropped from, I got, oh, let me get, I got dropped from the label. It didn't okay. sell. Oh, I did another record that never came out that was produced by Joe Jackson, by the way. Okay. Then tell us about that. That's a story. Well, it was, it wasn't that good. It was, you know, I think you realize when people who you really adore and people who you think are great, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily good producers. Okay. Or, or, or the way that they deal with the artists. But I, I, I think that it was also with me, I was so intimidated also. It's like, so then when it was time to do, I got a new record deal and the one with Kiss the Girl, it was like, you know what? I'm just going to go in with my friends and kind of self-produce and have them. And, and it was... It was so much fun. It was so great. Uh, I mean, I let myself go, and and uh, we experimented. And 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 the, and the great thing was, was at that time during it, there was no. I don't think the label at first gave any um, direction or said that you know it should sound like this or that. So we kind of just did whatever we wanted, and. Um, See, this is interesting, though. I would have thought, like, uh, that it could have been intimidating having an album which didn't come out and, like, uh, which you walked away from uh, to then go to uh, produce one yourself. But, like, it sounds like it was very freeing. So freeing. But also I think I I grew up as a, an artist and a person. You know, I, I always think I'm still evolving, you know. And and uh, I was a late bloomer, so I, I I think that, and part of it was having conf having confidence, which is something you always have to learn. I think with Todd and with with Joe Jackson, it was not you know I you know working with people that you you loved, and these were famous people, and you 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 I I I kind of didn't give my I. I didn't give myself the power to say, hey, that idea sucks. I've got a better one. <laughs> <laughs> it's finding your voice. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's, it's interesting. I mean, that's a, a continuing thing that I always have to learn. Which is funny because, like, in your art and uh, in your performances, it, it's hard to believe that you had, you know, you, you struggle with that. Well, I think I struggle with that with, you know, decision-making, but once I think I'm there, or when I'm performing, I feel I've got it, you know, I feel grounded, and I feel like here I'm performing, it's like, uh, there's nothing else I can do, here it is, <laughs> and, and uh, no more decisions to make, no one telling me to do anything, I'm just going at it, and I think that sense of fearlessness I mean, maybe as you get older you get that more but but i i always thought why don't i have that in the rest of my life that sense of 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 certainty of of spontaneity that that if something fucks up whatever big deal you just get up and go with it well to work out how to bring that into your whole life i'm sure we all like to hear the secret 
Oh, well, I'm still learning. I'm still, I think age helps a little bit. Sometimes I think you, you know, you get just like, how do you get over stage fright or, or you just do it a lot. You just keep playing and then finally you're like, oh. Yeah, uh, yeah, hitting my 40s, I think, helped a lot with confidence for me. What did? Uh, hitting my 40s. You were saying about, like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Older, I agree, totally. Like, I uh, wish my 20s, I wish I, don't you wish you knew what you did do now in your 20s as far as that sense of self? Yeah, yeah, th this wisdom in the younger body would be great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I sure know, I know. I'm sure a lot more wisdom would help as well, but we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, wisdom, like those mean girls in seventh grade. I wish I would have had that, you know, ability to say, you know what? A few years from now, you're not going to feel, you're, 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 you know, you're not, a few years from now, you're marrying this guy that is a real asshole. I just want you to know that. <laughs> I, I did want to, I, like I mentioned, I Kiss a Girl, uh, that song is amazing. I find it's like, it's a really beautiful song. And uh, it sort of shows, I, I think like a lot of maturity is now, it's very early on, but with the most fun video. Can you tell us a bit about, uh, about writing it and maybe like doing the video? Ah, uh, the video. So, what, you know, Rob Kissed a Girl kind of is a, 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 you know, didn't think it was actually going to be on the record. And I didn't think it would because it was even as on the surface as kind of light and funny it was. There was still, you know, I hope that underneath have like it's the insidious gay agenda coming out there, <laughs> rising. And But, you know, there was nothing like that at the time. And um, but the video, we had so much fun. I, I've always had this thing for pulp fiction of the 50s of, of, of they were the paperbacks that, that the 50s and early 60s that, that mostly guys would buy that would be you know titillating slightly you know and there would always be the, the two unhappy housewives that would somehow end up in evil Greenwich Village in New York City and, and end up getting it on yeah. <laughs> you know, but it was it, it just had that kind of the 50s look and sensibility to it so we wanted that in in the video kind of kind of a pulp fiction and um you know we had my next door neighbor who i i had the crush on well i'm married to fabio you guys know who fabio yeah, yeah. is in the video yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it was yeah. funny getting him it was really funny getting him i i, I don't think he he really got exactly what was going on but he was really sweet and then the only bad thing about it was at the end we were supposed to have a real kiss I was going to have a kiss with this other woman and it was going to be the first one ever really on, on MTV or at that time on TV at all and then the last minute the I guess the label decided that that was not going to be good. So at the end, they, they had me uh, pregnant with Fabio's baby. 
upside yeah. down. Oh, no. Oh, no. But it still was really, it, 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 was, it was those days when people put money into videos. So it was a two-day shoot, and it was pretty, I, I still think it's a really great video. Yeah, I mean, I just, and there's something about the lyrics of that song. I'm just going to like blow your spot up for a second here. It's just like, uh, the, 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 the way you describe, like, that thing of feeling other in the song, like, uh, uh, we laughed at the world. They can have their diamonds. We'll have our pearls. I think that's just like a wonderful <laughs> metaphor. It's just lovely. Just little, little things in there, like, uh, and then I felt a hand above my knee. It's kind of suggested without, you know, yeah, being salacious about it. I think it's wonderful. Yeah, and that's that's what's great about uh, thank you is 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 um, you, you know I think it was taken from maybe the the, the influences of uh, songwriting from my years of, of writing stories that that um, have have different levels to them. You know, it's yeah. it's, it's not you know there's a song like I always. I was really sad uh, when John Prine died because I loved him. I got to open up for him, and and he was a writer that was able to have like a really sweet melody, and and on the surface it's sweet and you can sing it, but underneath it's like, oh my God, this is about a Vietnam vet coming home as a junkie, you know, and it, yeah. it's it's. Um, and not that kissed a girl, but you, you that, that's a bad example. But I like having stories and, I, and, and having, having different levels of, of meaning to them. Well, I think that's a thing where it's like, it's obviously about something very specific, that song. But uh, like I grew up uh, kind of feeling that other than, you know, just someone who was, um, was bullied at school, who kind of had a different way of seeing things. And when I heard that song, it just like I, I got that feeling of just being a bit other than the rest of the world. I, I think I love that moment. Yeah, and that's what you hope to. That's as an artist, to me, that's the best thing that you can hope to do more than than unit sales or anything. That somehow you your feelings. And the reason you wrote it, someone else gets it, and they get something out of it. I certainly did anyway. Uh, I'd like to talk about some of the kind of other stuff you tackle in your songs, because you're not afraid to go somewhere with your songs. Uh, so, like, uh, there's uh, uh, like things about anorexia, LBGTQ issues, uh, jealousy, religion, and the loss of it, uh, unhealthy patriotism and sexism. Like, you know, how <laughs> do you... Do you feel you're being brave when you write these songs, or do you just write just like this is what I feel I have to get out there? Well, I don't feel I'm being brave. It's what I want to write, I think. And I also think I always try to or, or think about what what are people not writing about now? What are people not writing about now? And, and so you'd say that the song about Lucy at the gym, there hadn't been a song about, uh, you know, woman or, or teen uh you know, suffering from an eating disorder. Uh, I'll write topical political songs. Uh, I've written a few in these last couple weeks, and I don't think I attempt to write them. I just, that's what I want to write. 
That's yeah. what, uh, and, and, and to my detriment at times as far as being a successful pop artist is that I'm not, and I don't know if it's my forte. I have friends who are really, one friend who's really a successful pop songwriter for other people. And, and it, it's a formula. You, you know, you work with other people, you get your top lines, you do all this. And, and, and I've always thought, God, I should just start trying to do that. But part of it is I'm too lazy and I'm so not interested. <laughs> it, 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 I'm not interested. I, I, I just want to write what I want to write. And, and hopefully it, it has an audience for it that, that, that understands, you know, not understands, but that just relates. Yeah. I mean, have you ever written something going, gone, is, is this too much? Like, is there ever, like, one you've thought about holding back or just, I've got to say this? No, there, there's times I've, I've written things, like, like right now, the situation, and, and it's like episodes of the Black Mirror. In the, in, in the United States these last few months, if not year, you know, yeah. and, and, and there's like 20 outrages a day, uh, especially from, from Trump and, 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 and his, you know, the people that aren't doing, you know, his, his fans. I like to, you know, yesterday and today, there's people who were having protests and saying, we don't want to, you know, we're going to liberate ourselves. So they're hanging out with each other and hugging each other and having protests so they don't have to social distance. And I'm like, holy, holy smoke, you know. And there's lots of, they have lots of conspiracy theories and, uh, Bill Gates is the one who started the virus, you know, crazy. Yeah. So I'll start writing that, but I'll have to figure it out. I don't want it to be a song that's like, you know, fuck the man, you know, or, you know, these guys are complete idiots. So I want to figure out a smart way to do it, a smart way to, uh, um, so I think I stop myself if I think something's too pent. Yeah, or, or it's uh, it feels too like I said one dimensional. But I want to write it, and that's it, you know, like for instance, I want to write a song. You know, just hearing a story of, of of seniors that that have been, you know, or locked up and you know for a month, and they 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 can FaceTime their their grandkids and kids, but just, you know, that's, you know, that's tough. A lot of people must be feeling so, so long, have so much anxiety and loneliness. And, and, yeah, I mean, one of the songs which brings to my mind was America Back, 
like it was one of the most uh, perfect metaphors for everything. Like, uh, you say you want your American back, but well, what the fuck do you mean? I just that, was, that just seems so on point. Well, yeah, I mean, but, but and and the great thing is, I need to write a new one because I want my America back now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're the yeah. <laughs> Now I want my America later, back. Now I want my America back. But yeah, I had to figure out. I wanted to write a song about the anti-immigrant uh, sentiment in America, you know, and, and, and talking about it, I thought, oh, I'd go through the history of it, you know, from, from, you know, when my, when my grandparents came in, from the Italians and the Jews and the Chinese and now the Mexicans. So it was kind of a funny little thing, and then, you know, it was like, so it was a little story song, but then the the chorus, I'm going to give it to you with a bang. <laughs> and the other, like another one which springs to mind is uh, Letting Go of God, which uh, that was came out the Jill and Julia show, am I correct in saying? Jill and Julia show. That was actually a, 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 an assignment song for her. Julia Sweeney, I don't know if you guys, she, she's just one of the most brilliant comedians and she has one woman shows. She's just, she had, uh, she was in Saturday Night Live and she had the character Pat she was known for, but she had one woman shows that she was known for called, uh, uh, um, I forget the one about having cancer. And then she had one about becoming an atheist, calling letting go of God. So she asked me if I would write, uh, the theme song for it. So that was fantastic. And it's very sweet. It's a very sweet. I had to write the lyrics. I just, I made it very all the young dudes kind of, you know, anthemic. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 one of the uh, sweetest uh, expressions of atheism I've ever heard. <laughs> I know because you know what? I I I got to be around a lot of of uh, uh, you know Julia's uh, compadres, and and we would do things for the Freedom for Religion Foundation. And I found also there was a uh, there was a few of the atheists that were uh, as almost as dogmatic as the fundamentalist Christians in America. It was a really interesting uh, mix. Just a few, you know, that, that, that was like, you know, eh, people want to believe as long as they don't, you know, make us do it, you know. And uh, there's another song which I remember you talking about on, uh, I believe it was uh, one of your live gigs at Joe's Pub. And uh, it was, uh, it was, sorry, I'm, I'm thinking for a second. So it was um, uh, Nothing to Prove, which you wrote on a drip, a morphine <laughs> drip, I believe. Can you tell us about that? <laughs> well, yeah, it was actually, that was really, really funny. I was actually uh, meeting a, a, a different you know, trying to get a record deal and, and, you know, it was just like, well, actually the real story was, was that Julia and I, someone came to see our show. We had the Jill and Julia show in LA and it was someone from Fox TV and saying that this would make a fantastic, fantastic show. And she was really young and, and, um, Julia is such a cynic, and she goes, well, do you imagine us just writing it, or do you imagine us being it? Because you realize we're, like, middle-aged, and, and 
The woman goes, oh, no, I mean, no, you guys could be in it. I mean, the Golden Girls was a big hit. And Julia, Julia was kicking me under the table and I was about to throw up. I was, I was, I had to hold back my, my laughter so much. It was, it was the funniest thing. But, um, I wrote a song about, but I made it more about, I went into a record company to get a record deal. And here was this person who was nothing to prove, you know, fuck you kid. I got nothing to prove. But the interesting thing was I saw her later and she goes, I really loved it. My bosses didn't go for it, but she ended up being a really lovely person. So, so, (laughs) and actually, you know what? A golden girls thing. I'd freaking go for it. That's a great show. It is a great show. Yeah, it is. It's a great show. It's hysterical. Those women are badasses. And also, when you hear what ages they were when they recorded it, like, by today's standards, that's not old at all. Oh, it's my God, like, they weren't old at all. Like, you know the movie The Graduate? Yeah. Did you ever see The Graduate? Well, yeah, yeah, great film. That's yeah, of true. course. So, so I think that Mrs. Robinson was the same age as him. <laughs> yeah, they just... <laughs> Well, that's the one with Indiana Jones as well. Um, oh, Sean yeah. Curry was the same age as Harrison Ford uh, by like like two years. Like Sangus Sucker. Yeah. Oh, that's a funny one. Yeah. Um, like another thing I wanted to get into was you now uh, like directly self distribute your records. Kind of what was yes. the decision like doing that? Was that kind of uh, just something you just felt the need to do? You want to kind of like take ownership over it? Well, I thought. You know, who's going to give me a deal anyway that makes any sense? And so I thought, I'm just going to just do it myself and, 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 you know, do a Kickstarter for it. And it's been great, except for the fact I, organization is not my forte. And, uh, you know, there, there was, some mistakes along the way, hiring people that weren't great. So I think it's wonderful, but I know people that are sharper at the business things and, and, and than I am. So I, I, I'm learning little by little bit that uh, it's not my forte and to, to get people to help you out who, who, who maybe that is. So, but still... Yeah, I mean, the record business is, you know, such a shit show. I mean, who, I mean, they're doing good. The companies are, are still really doing good. I mean, the, the things, you know, Spotify, streaming services, they, they, they get their share. And we get, you know, it's such a ripoff. I mean, songwriters and musicians, everyone's really hurting right now. And even before. Uh, the virus, you know, more so, you know, everyone I know they're right now, their gigs are canceled. Uh, yeah. You know, my play was canceled or postponed all my gigs, you know, people, I, I've got gigs on the book for June, but I seriously doubt they're going to happen. Yeah. It's, it's uh, such an uncertain time for everyone. Yeah. Can I ask you questions? Yeah, yeah please. 
when you look out from across the pond yeah. at, at us, and you see things like, I don't know if you see the news and you see these kind of crazy, like I said, protests of people that that don't want to socially uh, distance themselves. <laughs> they're 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 kind of you know holding their Trump flags and the and 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 they carry automatic weapons with them while they're protesting. What do you think? It's what? it's difficult. We've got some of the same stuff. We've still got like some morons who are burning down five G towers and stuff like that. There's still some of that, but. It's almost like our um, government, we've got a Tory government at the moment, so like that's right, yeah. I'm not a fan, but they've got a line. Like, here's the level of evil we will be, like, we will be, you know, the, the standard kind of level of right-wing kind of evil, but for my liking. Like, I'm sorry if there's any kind of Tory voters like listening, but there we go. Uh, but it's almost like Trump is beyond having any of those, like, he will tear down the system to benefit himself, like the, the perpetual motion things, which keep everything running, he doesn't give a shit. Like if he has to throw the World Health Organization under the bus to make himself look good, and like it isn't his fault, he wasn't prepared. He's happy to do that, and I think that's what empowers what you're seeing over there, and what empowers kind of like the the racists and like all this. Like we we had a bit of this with the Brexit and stuff that kind of empowered some people on the far right, but not to this level. I, I just think it's. It's amazing that over kind of four years that the American systems managed to keep some of his stuff in check, but it's kind of just eroding by the day, it seems. So I'm sorry to be like, that's as, that's how it seems from here. I don't know. Well, th- that's how it seems from here, but even, but we're, we're in it. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 uh, yeah, I meant that you have a complete insane, narcissist that that uh, I, I mean the person is a com- he, he's a complete mental case and 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 the worst is there's people that know better better that aren't doing anything about it that to me is even more criminal than having this completely insane person up there yeah, yeah, that's the thing. When and, you're going um, to the trial, and yeah, like, it's weird. And, and the other thing about, I think that's happening to all of us. Even though you know, we always thought you know, America, we're number one at everything. I mean, science, rock and roll. We're you know, we're the we're the we're the leading nation, and all of a sudden, we're like, oh my god. We have a bad mortality rate. We're the only first world country that doesn't have health insurance. But, I mean, so this is a strange kind of awakening. It's, to me, I was telling people it made me, it's kind of like when I left school and I left for college and realized my mother really wasn't that good of a cook. You know, <laughs> terrible. Yeah. but you realize, oh, no, we are number one. We are number one in deaths right now in the virus, but we are not number one. And so it, I think it's a very strange thing for Americans to feel that we're not number one. Well, it's like there are so many people in his own party. Oh, did I lose you? Know you? Can you hear me? Phew. Yeah. Hey, and we have Jill back. 
So where were we? Oh, we're not number one. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're in a dystopian nightmare. Well, yeah, and I think that it's a, a really for Americans it's a, the, that, you know, and there's those ones that, that uh, you know, people, well, you've got the crazies that are out there protesting and, and uh, you know, wanting to not be part of the global community in this. And then you have the rest of us that it's almost a mourning period, actually, in what a strange think, way. What do you think of the left's response to it? So, like, uh, for, like you know, you, you work with Bernie there. He seems like the real deal. I think he was the best pope to really work against Trump. He was kind of, like, so far the other way that he could kind of, like, really make some radical changes. But then... The left didn't want to go with that. Like, I don't think so far as the left's bold enough. What do you think? I think right now, the I, you know, Bernie was a real gentleman on this. So, you know, people complained about the last time that he might have ruined the Hillary thing. But I think that everyone is all in on, on Biden for two reasons. One, one is our eyes are on the prize. Just, uh, we cannot have this, we cannot have four more years of that. We cannot. Uh, number two, I believe things have completely changed and there's a whole new generation and this is gonna, you know, people I knew that thought Bernie's ideas were crazy and commie are now like, oh, this is what we need to do. <laughs> you know, this yeah. is what we're doing now. This is, you know, we need health care. So, so I think that people on the left and, and, and a new, you know, newer generation and, and are, are making deals. I, I, I think that it's, Biden represents, yes, a, 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 a different generation and a centrist and all that stuff. And, and, you know, with, with corporate, uh, you know, connections. But I, I really think that the left, not just that the left is, they made a deal with Bernie and, and that, that some of his ideas will come in. But even despite that, I think this virus has shown so many people that weren't quite willing to go democratic socialist burning that are like, oh, oh yeah, that that's what we're asking for now. That's you, what we need to... Sorry, I was just going to ask you a bit about like uh, working with Bernie and what do you think uh, he will have changed that will um, go into Biden's campaign now? Well, like I said, I, you know, you can, at the same time, you can be a little cynical. Like I said, the eyes on the prize now is just to get rid of this existential danger yeah. to our nation and the country. But I think there will be a groundswell. There'll be new congressmen as you, and, and I, I think that there will be, once the election's there, there will be a poll, and uh, 
there'll be there'll be a push and pull to to move the party left and to to bring it back. But I think there'll be I believe there'll be progress, even though there'll be you know that's that's just me being an optimist. Okay. Um, that that's just me being an optimist. I no, just no, think I that there'll be agenda. I I think the that it's changed what what uh, uh, what the public is thinking. I think this is is really this virus. The, these months have 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 maybe and maybe I'm just being an optimist have, have opened nope. people's eyes and hearts. We're just with a bit of that right now. That's fine. <laughs> and um, speaking of like optimism, I love the kind of optimism of Bernie's mes- message. Can you just tell us a bit about like working with Bernie Sanders and like going out and performing on at his campaigns? Well, this was mostly I did it the, the the first campaign, and it was just so much fun because I I mean four years ago, no, it was like six years ago. I I got the call from my friend who worked at Revolution Messaging. They actually worked with Obama on his digital uh, uh, digital media, and, and he got a call from Bernie Sanders. And it was like, yeah, Bernie's cool. Let's work with Bernie, you know, the only socialist in the, uh, you know, in the Senate uh, ever. Well, in the last how many years? But... Um, no one thought that there would be the groundswell for him. I remember the the turning point was, uh, so he asked me to do entertainment, bring some people in uh, to work with Bernie. And I remember there was a time in Los Angeles where there we were having a, he was speaking, and we thought we'd have a couple hundred people there, and there were lines around the block no one could get in and it was a lot of young people and we were all looking at each other like what is going on this is crazy <laughs> and it was what was so exciting back then was to see especially i mean it was a great mix of people it was like there were some old you know old folks like me or old old hippies who were like yeah Bernie, and then you saw this whole new generation of, of kids. It feels like wanting to to be involved in the process and caring and, and wanting to know about politics. And, and whereas I think that, you know, for 20 years, you, you know, you want kids didn't give a shit uh, unless it had to do about pot laws. You know? <laughs> so it was so exciting. And it was so taken aback that you'd see it, and then you realize, oh yeah, they 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 grew up differently than I did. You know, I I grew up thinking that, and there was a little bit of it where you know my parents did better than their parents. Maybe I would do better than our parents, and you had this, you felt this post-war safety net. Not everyone, you know, <laughs> more privileged people. But then you saw a generation that that uh, that didn't felt like they didn't have that safety net, um, and and when I went to college, man, I went to Colorado University, 
and it was so cheap. You know, I don't know. And then you see all these people with, with you know, I know so many people with so much college debt, and it just seems so crazy. And so I, I'm rambling on, but what I'm saying is, it was so exciting to see a whole generation of people. Well, you think of American kids just not giving a shit. Yeah. Um, to bring it back to you, though, Jill, uh, I love the fact that uh, you've got a very personal relationship with your audience. I think that kind of always shines through for me. And uh, you even released some of your like uh, stuff directly online. So you've uh, you released an album for uh, recording live at Joe's Pub, which I've got. And uh, you're kind of like very given with your music. Uh, do you think... Are you ever worried about doing that? Like, you know, if you're giving away music that where you are self-publishing that you won't kind of make money from it? Or is it just kind of really nice to have that relationship with your audience? Well, right now it's a moot point because with streaming, no one's making... What, what, did, I, what did I say you have to have? There was something like 385,000 hits for an artist to make a, of a song to make a minimum wage. Yeah. And 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 I, and people that I know that are you know have had hits songwriting. And the the Spotify it's it's in streaming services. Uh, musicians are so we're so fucked. Uh, you know we didn't have the power that say like SAG or the the uh, Screen Actors Guild or the. They have, you know, there's no, there's no musicians union here with, with health insurance. People are really, really suffering here. So the, the, the point of giving away music for free, you're doing it anyway. Yeah. So, like, do you have, what do you think the way forward is for musicians at the moment or just like you're fucked? Is, is there any kind of, is there any hope you can offer us, Joe? Well, yes, there is. And, and, um, you know, I go on these panels and seminars of, of musicians who, uh, you know, what future of music, and they always deal with the, the people like Taylor Swift or, you know, what are they going to do? I mean, you know, when I first started, a middle class, working class musician, songwriter could actually make a living. You'd play a club or if you, you, you were, you had your record out, you know, you, you could, people bought music. But I have to tell you, in this time, you know, and you can't overuse your, your Kickstarters or your Patreons because, you know, I, I do that, but I try not to overdo it because, you know, people get inundated by it so much. I started when I was one of the first to start it back then. But I have to tell you, I think... Let's just go back to open mind nights. I've been doing these FaceTimes. I'm going to do another one Monday. And I'm like, you guys, I need to buy a new iPad. So I'm singing. I'm doing a whole show, you guys. You know, hey, tip. I'm passing the bucket around. I think that people are going to have to do the, 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 a lot of people. And I'm talking about your working class. And your middle class and working class artists and perform. I think there's something kind of amazing about what 
what's been going on with Zoom and Facebook Live. And I know a lot of artists are actually do, doing, you know, making some progress. I mean, think about, think about it. I'm doing a Facebook Live, and I hadn't thought about it, or, or Zoom. And there's fans of mine in London that haven't seen me in ages. There's fans in Oklahoma City that haven't seen me in ages. And now they can come see me. Yeah, we need you back in the UK sometime. You know what? When I can, when I can travel, I will go because I love it there so much. Well, I've I've got at the bottom of the screen right now for people. It's jillsabule.com. Buy some physical media or buy at least the download. So uh, I'll tell you what they can do. Here's some really good things they can do. Please. Is you can go to Jill at, uh, oh, go to my, go to my Instagrams because I always have updates. My Instagram or my Facebook is even better than going on there because I have my, my, I got to get my website better. But I have updates on when I'm doing shows, like I'm going to do one Monday. I have updates, like there's a product that I'm here. Check this out for Jill at JillSylvia.com. I am selling. Well, I have this thing called Jill in a Bottle, which is a a, a drive, a, a flash drive with over 100 songs yes. on it. And I I don't have access where I am to my storage unit. But for a, a, a for a half the price, I'm going to just send you the files, the virtual Jill in a bottle, and you have you'll have amazing rarities. And I'm singing all the young dudes with Billy Bragg in in London. I'm singing with Cindy Lauper, my Mexican wrestler song. Woo woo woo! So there's things like this that we do. <laughs> Well, uh, just to round off this uh, wonderful conversation, I've had so much fun tonight. But uh, uh, one thing which I usually like to ask my artists or the like guests I have on the show is about a bit of advice they can give me. But like during these hard times, what I'm asking is, what advice have you got for people to uh, cope with the uh, COVID crisis and like uh, just how they're feeling with it all? Like, how are you getting on and how are you coping with it? You know what? I'm not doing so bad because I'm taking this i'm actually taking this time to calm down calm down a little bit i'm uh the hardest thing is to make a little schedule like to say okay i'm gonna write for a couple hours i'm gonna go you know here i can go walk outside but i think to take advantage of the time when else are you gonna have this time and watch great old movies <laughs> so uh, like have you got any movie recommends for people well i like really old i, I i've been going on a kind of strange uh, you, do you guys have the criterion channel we don't i'm afraid it's great they, they they curate it really well they have art house movies and old movies but i've been on a kind of old noir uh like double indemnity but also I've been going on a kind of 1970s, like, paranoid, uh, you know, the CIA kind of spy stuff, like Three Days of the Condor. I've been on a 70s kick for some reason. Chinatown, The Godfathers, 
that, that was such a great era for for movies. That's awesome. Uh, thank you so much, Jill. Uh, if you wouldn't mind just holding on the line for a minute, I'm just going to wrap up the show, then I'll uh, quickly talk to you before we go, if that's okay? Absolutely. Okay, guys, uh, I am now uh, putting up my own self-promotion. So uh, we've now just got online. Uh, actually, it's wrong, that banner, so I'll take it down. It's drsqueed.com if you want to uh, find the show. Uh, we're going to be, as well as putting eventually up all these Facebook Lives on as podcast episodes, we're also going to have some exclusive ones. Um, the first episode, which is going to be coming out very soon, is with Tim Brooke Taylor, uh, the, the member of the goodies, the guy who uh, co-wrote the Four Yorkshiremen sketch. Uh, sorry, I'm having a clue on the radio. Uh, he recorded an interview with us just before he sadly recently passed away. So that's oh. going to be coming up as our first episode. So please do tune in for that and uh, all our podcast episodes. Uh, but for now, thank you so much, Jill Sabiel. I've had so much fun. Hey, I hope you, asked good, the, you asked the good questions. Oh, thank you. That's very sweet of you to say. Uh, but for now, uh, for Facebook Live, I've been Dr. Squee. With me, is, with me has been Jill Sabiel. For now, goodbye from the Dr. Squee Show. <laughs>